This was recorded live at Trinity Church in San Juan, Puerto Rico. For more information, go to trinitypr.org. Good morning, Trinity Church. If I have not had the pleasure of meeting you, I am Ronnie Garcia, the lead pastor. Daddy's out there. Happy Father's Day. You know, uh, Mother's Day gets all the attention, doesn't it? No, I'm really uh, thankful for fathers who would follow Jesus and lead their families. And may God bless you extra today. So if you're new, last week we began studying Psalm 51, and we are going to continue studying Psalm 51. And as you open your Bibles there, I want to take your attention to uh, this fantastic story that we find in Luke chapter 7. So Jesus is invited to a dinner party by Simon the Pharisee. And so there he is reclining at the table with all these religious guys when all of a sudden this woman barges in on the party, falls at his feet, and washes Jesus' feet with her tears and dries it with her hair. And she has this alabaster flask of, of, of fine oil and perfume and anoints him with it. Now this is like unnerving Simon the Pharisee, and he starts thinking to himself, you know, if Jesus knew who this woman was, a sinner, how does he say? He says, if, he, if Jesus was a prophet, he would know that this woman is a sinner. And that, that's all that we know about this woman is that she's a sinner. You know, church history tells us that it was, maybe it was Mary Magdalene, and, and maybe she had sold her body for money. We're not sure. But there she is at Jesus' feet. Now, Jesus can perceive Simon's thoughts. And so he responds with this parable. And this is how he concludes. Listen to this. It says, Therefore I tell you, Jesus says, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And I I love it. And in that moment, there is this fantastic truth poured out for us, this biblical truth, that there is this correlation between how vast you see your sin with how much you love the Savior. Well, Psalm 51 is inviting us to delve into the depths of our sin through repentance. Why? So that we would love much. See, listen, if you see yourself as just having a little bit of sin, then you just need a little cross, and then you're just going to love a little. But if your sin is big and vast, then that cross is also big and vast, and your love and affection for the Savior will also be big. We need to really think about repentance. We are a time in our national conversation where Christians specifically are thinking deeply about repentance Repentance is actually the key in growing in spiritual maturity. So listen, it's, repentance isn't just this thing like this, the, the sinner's prayer that you pray at the very beginning of your Christian life to kind of get into a club and then you just take it from there. No, 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 no. Repentance isn't just the entryway into the Christian life. It is the essence of the Christian life. We never graduate into something beyond it. We're always leaning into this. And here's why. Because rules don't create change or transformation in our hearts. You know what does? Love does. 
And that's how come we, we need to understand what all Christ has done so our love for him and the transformation that we need will follow. And I want to take this even one step further in this introduction. Without the theology of Psalm 51, there is no Christianity. Like, we can't even have this thing we call Christianity. You know why? Because Christians see Jesus as a Savior, and therefore we see ourselves as needing a Savior. He is a forgiver, and we need to be forgiven. It's actually the core of our identity. That's how come every Sunday we take this time to do this thing called confession of sin, where we do it together. We're trying to rehearse words and nourish in us this identity of this desperate, constant need that we have to be forgiven, you see. And so when we participate in this confession of sin, we give to the Lord these intimate and expectant expressions of repentance. And that's what we find in Psalm 51. There's nothing like Psalm 51 in the whole ancient world. Like the ancient corpus, you could read anything. No one talks to the creator of the world with such intimate terms like we're going to find here in Psalm 51. Why is this here? Why is this for the people of God? Because God wants you. God wants all of you, and he knows if you see yourself as just having a little bit of sin, then you'll just need a little bit of forgiveness, and you'll just end up with a little bit of love for him. But if the problem is big, your love and affection for him will be really big. So we're going to continue to study and explore what God has in mind when we talk about repentance. And what I'm going to do, if you're a note taker, I'm going to talk about, show two things that repentance is not. So two conf- confusions, so two things that repentance is not. And then I'll finish with um, the motivation to lean into repentance. Where do we find repentance? Because it's uncomfortable. So Two things that repentance is not, and then the motivation behind it. And with that, let's give our attention to the very best part of this sermon. Psalm 51, a portion of it. And it reads as so. To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Verse 7. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors, transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. 
Then you will delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. It is relevant for our hearts, all of our hearts, even now. May he bless it for me and for you. Amen. Amen. So yeah, we're doing two sermons on Psalm 51. It's really important that we kind of slow down and think about repentance. When you inspect Psalm 51 a little bit closer, it kind of shows us a version of confession and repentance that's quite different than what our modern imagination thinks of when we talk about it. See, self-abasement is, is often confused with repentance. In fact, there are these kind of two common versions, or maybe I'll say two perversions of repentance. There's the religious version, and the religious perversion would be something like this, where a person voluntarily shames themselves, or they inflict pain on themselves in order to atone for their sin, right? You see this like every Easter. If you look at international news, you'll have these Presumably followers of Christ, Christians who will maybe walk long distances on their knees, right? Get their knees to kind of atone, pay for their sins. Or maybe they'll get these whips, right? And they, and they whip themselves, like self-flagellation. You'll see this like every Easter. What are they doing? They're, they're, just, they're hurting themselves, trying to atone for their sins to show that they're sorry. That's not what Psalm 51 gives us. Now, there's also a secular version of repentance, and dare I say, Christians use this probably more than even the religious version. The secular version of repentance goes something like this. Imagine a a guy and a girl uh, are together. The guy cheats on the girl. She confronts him, and, and what does he say? He looks at her, and he says, I'm stupid. I'm a loser. You deserve better than me. Nobody should love me. I am a bad person. What is that? That's a pity party. That's not repentance. Why? Because it's still about me, right? It's all about me. That's very different than saying, I was wrong. I hurt you. Listen, the goal in repentance is not about lowering self-esteem. It's not about self-hatred. Neither of those versions, the religious or the secular, actually take repentance seriously because it's not about self-abasement. And in fact, David, right, he doesn't, through his repentance, he doesn't see himself as unlovable, right? In fact, we see something quite different. Look there in your Bibles. Look at verse 8. This is what he says. He says, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Look at verse 12 with me. It says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. See, David is concerned with joy and renewal. And as bad as David's sins were, and they were awful, the tenor of this psalm is a fight for joy. This isn't a self-hatred competition, you see. Now, why is it then in his repentance David speaks like this? What does David understand? David believes that God made him and that God doesn't make mistakes. But, but sin deforms the beauty of David's humanity, right? Sin had made him into a monster. Now God is graciously working to restore David's beauty. And so repentance is God's tool to restore our dignity. And so repentance is not about self-hatred. God does not hate you. 
And you shouldn't hate yourself. That's not what, what's happening here. And in fact, and listen carefully on this, when you hate yourself, you're actually trying to take control from God and leave God outside of the process of restoring you and making you whole. You're trying to say, I got it from here, God. I don't need you for this, right? Believe it or not, self-hatred is actually a very sinister form of pride. But true repentance is God's process of liberty, which allows our beauty and joy and dignity to be restored. You see how that works? So the first thing that repentance is not, the repentance is not self-abasement. It's not self-hatred. It's a fight for joy, you see. Now there's a second thing that repentance is not. Repentance is not disqualification. And let me explain what I mean by that. When we um, think of repentance, we tend to think of um, consequences in terms of not being worthy to work for God. So we act as if we're suspended uh, or as if we have suspended our right to tell others about God or to go to church or worse, we have suspended our right to be loved, right? We say, I've blown it, right? God can't use me. Now, sometimes in our religious and even evangelical circles, we sadly have reinforced that. We say things like, we want to have a triumphant and victorious Christian witness so that we will be useful to God, right? And so you hear preachers on the radio or on TV say, show the world your victorious life. Isn't that that what the billboards say? Bring out the champion in you, right? David can't say that. That option is not available to David, is it? David's sexual history is the number one selling novel in the history of mankind, right? The secret's out. There's no victorious life there. He's a murderer. He's a liar. He's an adulterer. And everyone knows it. He's exposed. But notice what he says there in verse 13. Look at verse 13. He says, I will teach transgressors your ways. So David actually thinks that he will be a better example, a better instrument of God because of what God has done through him. David does not want the shame of his sin to paralyze him. He doesn't want his sin to silence him. David is fighting for restoration and to even be used by God. Look there in verses 14 and 15. He cries out, he says, deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. Here's what this means. Listen carefully. Your mess is your message. That's how God uses it. He inverts it. Your mess is your message. The more you understand the magnitude of your sin, not your victory, the magnitude of the sin, the more beautiful and gracious Jesus will be to you. You know how I know that God is just so big and so grand? It's because my sin is just unthinkably large. It's it's so uncomfortable. That's why Jesus is so beautiful, you see. See, the cross casts this long, huge shadow of love and acceptance. Remember, little sin— Little cross, little love. Our sin, Trinity, does not disqualify us 
from living for God and being used by him. I'm not, I'm not saying that there aren't consequences to the choices we make. I'm just saying we're not, we're not disqualified. It's actually quite the opposite. Our sin and then our repentance then gives us a platform to show the world just how outrageous is God's love. And see, David, man, he clung to this truth. He treasured it. And you should too. I hope, my prayer for Trinity Church is that we would just be the safe place to be vulnerable, to cling to this truth, that our mess would be our message so that this could be a place where we could walk in new freedom to love one another. All right. Well, so far, what I've looked at so far, I've looked at two things that repentance is not, right? It's not self-abasement and it's not disqualification. Let's turn our attention to the motivation of repentance. Because if we're honest, it is really hard to get vulnerable about um, our failures and the the darkness that kind of resides in our souls. I was so touched by Jeff's sermon as he introduced it and began Psalm 51 last week. There's this one part that just kept playing over and over in my head. And it's worth repeating. And it deals with the motivation for repentance. And let me explain. If you hurt a friend and you hurt them bad, you'll do whatever it takes to make it right. Why? Because you love the person, because you miss the relationship. And there was alienation that came and you worked to make it right. So for instance, let's say you lied to a person, right? And it hurt, that, it hurt your friend bad. What is it that motivates you to fix it? Do you just like open up the Bible, look at the Ten Commandments and say, oh, thou shall not bear false witness. And all of a sudden you're like, hey, I guess I just want to fix this. No, that's not how it works, right? What do you say? You say, I love that person. I want to honor my friend. My friend has loved me and and sacrificed for me. I, I want to make this right because I miss my relationship with that person. See, the relationship is so valuable. You'll do anything to have it. For some reason, that framework, with God, we lose sight of it. We look past the fact that God wants to have a relationship with us. We tend to look at our relationship with God as if it were a negotiation or a contract, right? And so when we sin, we just think about breaking rules. That's, that's all we think about. And let me just say, That's exactly what you see in the Old Testament. Our experience today is what was all over the Old Testament. We see it with how they related, the Israel related to the sacrificial system, right? When they broke God's law, instead of dealing with the betrayal in their hearts and how they've hurt their loving God, what they would do is they would use sacrifices like some cheap payment for for cosmic amnesty that's absolutely absurd. They begin to manipulate this whole system for that. They didn't want a relationship with God. They just didn't want the punishment. See, to them, God was just a rule book. He wasn't, he wasn't a heavenly father. But David is breaking that pattern. He's working against that. Listen to what he says in verse, verses 16 and 17. He says to the Lord, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. 
See, those verses actually help us to understand the heart of the issue. David is not sad simply because he broke some rule or some law. He is sad because he broke God's heart. David wants that relationship with God to be restored. The burnt offering is not enough. David wants God himself as heavenly father. And it's the relationship that is David's principal concern, not a rule. If you think about God exclusively in impersonal terms with respect to just rules, let me just tell you, you will never find the motivation to go to God in humble repentance. You won't. Most people think about church in terms of this institution made by man to maintain morality, right? And so what happens is that God is likened to this book of rules. And why do they think of God like that? In the church like that? It's because they don't get it. Most people who go to church, dare I say, don't get it. And here's the thing. A book of rules will never inspire or motivate your heart to do hard, vulnerable things like confess your darkest guilt. But if you think about God as a loving father, who who is your greatest treasure, wouldn't that just change your motivation? Right? Because you'll do whatever it takes to to restore that relationship. A, A relationship with God would be the main thing that, that brings you happiness and gives you joy. See, the motivation changes. We won't fear the consequences. We'll say, we'll, we'll take whatever, so long as I have you. Because we, we fear more, not consequences, but a life without an intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father. Listen, I, I'm afraid that there's someone who might even be watching here today that has kind of missed this. Maybe you have accepted Jesus as a set of propositions, right? You believe there's a God, check. You believe that God is Jesus. You believe that Jesus even takes away the sin of the world. You accept those propositions, and yet you value other relationships more than the relationship with God. And because you see God just as this broker of rules, your heart is never sufficiently compelled to truly repent and to repent regularly. That's not the song on your lips. That's not a part of your spiritual formation. Listen, if you have never said to God, Father, not only do I accept you, Jesus, not only do I accept you, but I love you more than I love anything else in this world. If you've never said, I mean, listen to me. Listen to these words. Not only do I accept you, Lord, but I love you more than I love anything in, these, in the world. If you've never said those words, then I just want to invite you, give, give yourself to them. So that's what's at stake here. Thank you so much for your attention this morning as we continue studying Psalm 51. Let me just conclude. What I've tried to do today is try to give two things that repentance is not, right? Repentance is not self-abasement or hatred, self-hatred. And repentance is not disqualification. Your mess is your message. And then the motivation I explored to lean into this relationship is, is our relationship, not a rule. It's our relationship with him. And it helps us to do hard things. Would you just let me just conclude with this one final observation in Psalm 51. 
my heart is that you would spend time in Psalm 51 this week, that you would read it for yourself, and then you would let those words be your words. But it's really easy to read over stuff. In verse 7, look there in your Bibles. David writes, he says, Purge me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Now you and I, we see that word hyssop, and we think, well, that's cute, I guess. And then we kind of read and move right on by, don't we? Now, if you were a Jew singing this song, remember Psalm 51 is a song, the song of repentance together in the grand assembly with all your brothers and sisters just singing it together. When your lips uttered the word hyssop, a very specific image would enter your mind. And here's, here's how. Every family during the Passover had this ritual. The father would take an animal, slaughter it, and then he would take a hyssop branch and he would soak that hyssop branch in the blood of the animal and then he would paint his door. Right? Or a Jew, if he came in contact, if you came in contact with a dead body, a cadaver, or if you developed a skin disease like leprosy, you would have to go to the priest, and the priest would have to do this highly symbolic but important ceremony. The priest would take two birds, crush and slaughter one of the birds, and then the priest would take a hyssop branch and soak that branch in the blood of the one bird and paint it and cover the other one and set it free. And so the bird soaked with blood is released and freed and covered by the sacrifice of the other. That is what the hyssop branch means to them. Now think about this with me. Why is it when Jesus is hanging on the cross? I mean, he is bloodied. He's got nails in his hands. He's got, he's got thorns on his brows. He has been beat senseless. He's on the brink of death. He's parched. He screams out. He says, I thirst. Why is it that the gospel writer John tells us that his disciples extended a hyssop branch. Well, why tell us that detail? They, they took a hyssop branch, they put a sponge on it, they soaked it in wine. They did not extend a hyssop branch with blood on it. Why? You know the answer, say it. They took that hyssop branch not to apply blood, but to soak it up with blood so that it would be applied to you and to me. So that we would be covered and freed and released. Jesus was the slain lamb. Jesus was the slaughtered bird. It is his blood that is soaked up and applied to us so that we're covered. And this is why Christians in every generation, in every language, never stop singing the song of repentance. We sing. We sing expectantly with intimate words. We come to the Lord. We know that he will never say, go away. He'll never send us away. We sing and we sing and we allow it to pour over our hearts. We sing with courage. We sing with humility. We sing longing for our relationship with the Savior to be renewed and restored. 
Would you sing Psalm 51? Would you allow deep repentance to be the primary part of your spiritual formation? It will change every relationship you have. Every relationship you have with God and with one another. Man, I'm, I am begging for Trinity to be this humble, repentant community. It starts with me. Would you join me in this? Amen. I'm going to pray for us as the band takes their position. You know, I, I long for the day that we can um, finish at a table together, enjoying and rejoicing in restored relationship with the Savior. But we can't do that. But um, the Lord will make a way. This won't last forever. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, Lord, I pray that Psalm 51 wouldn't just come and go on our hearts. Change us, transform us. Teach us to see just how vast our sins, that we might love much. Expand our hearts that we would love you more. Thank you, Father, for giving us the Savior, Jesus, the crucified one. Thank you that we are covered in his blood, that we can come to you confidently. We love you. Do a new work in our hearts. Do a new work in Trinity Church, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.